Check this out, peeps. It is F27. Now, of course, you know F is the symbol, the letter for the month of January. I'm Guy Adami, joined by Dan Nathan, and this is Market Call, folks. Today we're focusing on the latest Wall Street research. Joining us in a few minutes, EY from SoFi. Today's episode of Market Call brought to you by our three presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right all in one app. And of course, Open Exchange, Dan Nathan, because they are still managing virtual meetings that matter for companies all over the world. Dan, I am geeked up, man. How are you? You are fired up, guy. I mean, you spent a few days in sunny FLA at an industry investment conference, and you got to hear probably a lot of good tidbits, man, about this volatile market. I mean, listen, you and I have not seen this sort of volatility really since the throes of the pandemic, just the intraday moves, just some of the devastation and kind of some single names here. And, you know, for me, it kind of brings me back, and you and I were talking about it earlier in the week on Market Call, when you're seeing, you know, the volatility band widen the way we have over the last few weeks or so and the sorts of two three percent moves that can get erased really quickly i mean listen if you're a trader dynamite right but if you're an investor this is the sort of stuff that starts to make you feel a little bit nervous after such a long period of low volatility it's like having a few of those taco bell fake meat chorizo things (laughs) and then you know dealing with it the next day yeah it makes you uneasy makes you a little nauseous and then you're ruining the day that you got yourself into the situation in the first place. Maybe you shouldn't have gone, but I'll say this. You know, I talked to Mike Novogratz on Tuesday. He used the term bear market. I'm not, but what he said is the paradigm has now been changed. So now, and Liz mentioned this, by the way. We're going to bring her in a second. Last week, she talked about the paradigm shift, about it had been a buy the dip market, and it was now the sell the rally market. And I think they're both going to be right. But let's take a look at, they say, of some of these charts. This is the SP, S&P 500, the SPX. Done everything it's supposed to do. Got through that support level. Breached the 200-day moving average for the first time in a while. Is now revisiting that 200-day moving average. The question is that everybody wants to know that I have an opinion on, was that enough to the downside or is there more pain to come? Yeah, well, listen, you know, you said it did everything it needed to do, all the things that it really hasn't done in over a year. The S&P 500 had not had a greater than 5.5% peak to trough decline in all of 2021. I think that was one of five years in like 50 where there has not been a 10% decline from a high in the S&P 500. So the buy the dip crowd owned 2021. We had a 26% gain in the S&P 500. And I think this very sharp move through all of those technical support levels that's the thing I think that's causing you know a bit of trepidation here because investors just have not had a situation where the technicals have been something that they cannot rely on a little bit, which brings us, I guess, guy, you know, you got to look at the small caps, you know, and, and maybe you can tie these two together. You know, you had been saying in November, October, November, that the false breakout or the inability to really create a new range above that, like almost 10, 11 month range, that consolidation, you thought was really bearish and you thought it would be bearish for large caps. Just curious, you know, what you think of this thing now, because there is no support in the Russell 2000, the small caps down to about 1750, which was the breakout level right after we got the news of the vaccines in late 2020. That's exactly right. That's when this group of stocks took off to the upside. Understandably so. It makes a lot of sense. And 
know, it's interesting. You had that false breakout in November. You talked about it probably being a false breakout, as did Carter Worth. I actually thought it was going to hold. It didn't. But I will tell you, when it got back down to those levels that we had traded to, it was pretty clear that the next leg was going to be lower. And that's not in retrospect. We talked about it at the time. Your line of support makes a lot of sense. You will get a couple standard deviations away from the 200-day moving average, and it comes in the form of 1750. And again, rates are going higher, in my opinion, not because the economy is getting better, Dan, which would be supportive of small caps, but because inflation is somewhat out of control. And by the way, the Fed has acknowledged that as well. So we'll see what happens to this RUT. I think it goes lower from here, Dan. Yeah, I do too. And I think the S&P 500 probably has lower lows too. And so at this point though, with the Russell broken, and it really is massively broken here, I think investors are going to keep a very close eye on the large cap, the S&P 500, and obviously tech. And we're going to talk about tech because we're going to preview Apple's earnings. We're going to look at the NASDAQ 100 here. But we got to bring in our friend, Liz Young from SoFi. What do you call her? L-Y from SoFi. No, 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 no. no. Um, I don't call her. If you're going to do it, get it right. I call her E-Y from ah. SoFi because E is the E in Elizabeth. And I think my sense is her family still calls her Elizabeth. I mean, that is sweet. And by the way, as I've mentioned a number of times, the Christmas Packer ornament on her tree <laughs> says Elizabeth. So there you go. What's up, yeah, Elizabeth? It didn't work. It didn't work to keep that ornament out. I was hoping it would. What's up? I'm fired up today. I, oh. I want to talk about what <laughs> I'm excited to talk about the Fed. I'm excited to hear what everybody thinks, because I think that there's a huge spread between what people are saying about this. And it's going to be fun to see who's right. Are we going to start with this tweet? Yeah, we got to. I mean, yeah, well, here, here, here's the thing, Liz. You know, I mean. You've really been nicely growing a following there. You tweet a lot of great stuff all day long. So if people are not following at Liz Young Strat, you should be on the Twitter. But this tweet yesterday, you almost broke Twitter pre-Fed meeting, Liz. You put this tweet (laughs) out. You wanted to know how nervous people were in front of the Fed meeting. And you got what they call ratioed. You had basically more comments than you did likes and everything. And you had a lot. You had hundreds of them. So talk to us about some of the feedback that you got to this tweet. Yeah. I mean, it was, first of all, it was an accident. I didn't intend for it to be that widely viewed, but the intention was how nervous are you about the Fed meeting? And people started to answer me how nervous they were about just their portfolios in general and the environment in general. And I started to tally them up. There were 350 responses. So I did not tally all of them, but I got enough through the trend to figure out what the answer was going to be. Most people said they weren't nervous. And I said, not nervous is somewhere between zero and three on a scale from one to 10. Now, I'm a little skeptical, though, because I wonder if people just don't want to admit publicly that they're actually nervous and they want to appear cool as a cucumber. But there were some responses that were, you know, in the short term, I'm nervous. In the long term, I'm fine. Somebody said, I'm a 10 nervous, but I keep looking at all my positions and I still think that they're good holdings. So I'm holding on. So the advice that they were giving and the thought processes that they had were really logical. But I I'm a little afraid that people are better at giving advice than maybe taking advice because somebody out there is nervous. Absolutely. Listen, and let me just say one thing. I actually responded to this. I said, are you, you know, in terms of being a Packer fan and the the answer for that for you has got to be a spinal tap said 11, because before we get back into the markets, I mean, your ship has sailed sister. And I got to tell you something, you're in salary (laughs) cap hell now for five years. 
I mean, you might not see the Packers in the playoffs until I'm like 85 years old, which is actually coming yeah, up. I, I was going to try to veto this conversation. It's too soon. I'm still fragile. It, <laughs> it was a real bummer of a night. But you know what? We'll see what I don't know if he comes back or not. It looks like he's probably not coming back, but we've got Jordan Love and we'll do this whole rebuilding thing. I think the Packers franchise is always pretty strong. We almost always show up. Of course so you do. I in mean, a year cause... when the expectations were high. Yeah, we choked in a year when they're low. We might surprise you. Let's oh, go. We'll get back to the market because, you know, that's a whole nother conversation that I will put take the counter on. But I'll say this. I think you're right in your assertion that a lot of people are not just being honest with themselves and they're better at giving advice than taking advice. And I think people are right to be nervous this environment. You talked about it last week. I mean, we've gone from a situation where all dips needed to be bought, where maybe that pendulum is swung. Maybe it's a new paradigm where rallies need to be sold. So by definition, you know, if you're not fighting the Fed when they're adding liquidity and by fighting the Fed, you're bearish. Well, if you're bullish now, you're fighting the Fed because they've turned the script a yeah. bit here, Liz Young. Yeah, we, and actually one of the most interesting things that I drew out of all the comments was there were people that said, I'm frustrated with new investors because they don't understand fundamentals. Somebody else said, I learned in 2000 and 2008 that this is normal. I'm not scared. But here's the thing. Everybody that came into this at March of 2020, right, didn't see 2000 and 2008. So the biggest problem right now, I think, is that we're not conditioned for it. That's why we're seeing those huge swings intraday. And it used to be the case that it was big institutions. And look, there are still plenty of big institutions that are causing swings and that are going to put trades on that are whales of trades, right, and can move markets. But I think that there is a big force from individual investors that haven't done this before. And there's going to be these, these choppy times because they don't know how to interpret it. And frankly, there are times that I don't know how to interpret yeah. it, right? Is good news good news or is good news bad news? And yeah. it's all about what the reaction is and what the expectations were. Well, so this is this is a great segue, I guess, to the interest rates here. And we look at the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, and you look at this on a two-year basis or so, and you see that this thing it looks like it's poised to break out here. And, you know, with a yield at just 1.8% or so, which historically is very low, it's obviously up a whole heck of a lot from the lows near 50 basis points about a year, year and a half ago, it looks very constructive. And a strong economy printing this sort of GDP that we just printed this morning and say, well, we should be able to handle a 2% 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. But there's little doubt in my mind or your mind or Guy's mind who've been around a little bit, one of the causes for a lot of the stock market volatility, again, to the point where maybe new entrants in the market haven't seen a rate hiking cycle here. This is one of the main reasons here. And this looks poised to break out. Guy, I know that you've been in the 2% camp on the 10-year. We're not far away. We also have a longer-term chart going back 20 plus years from the highs in 1999. And it's just worth noting that that is upper left, bottom right. And if you see the peaks in 2000, when the Fed funds was over 6% and the 10-year was near 7%, and then the peak in 07, 08, we had a 10-year above 5%. And then when we got to 2019 and we were just above 3%, all of those instances, we had sharp stock market declines. So, Guy, do we get above 2%? Do we get to that downtrend? And what's the stock market do? Yeah, so this is a, this obviously this trend line that you mentioned, upper left, lower right. So each passing day, that line gets lower and lower. So what I think is going to wind up happening is we're going to reach that trend line. It's probably going to come in the form of about 2.25% or so. And we will still be in effectively a 23 or so year downtrend for rates. Now, 
again, in those downtrends, we have seen spikes to the upside. You just talked about it. And I think this spike to the upside that we're going to see in rates, it's going to coincide with a move lower in equities. Because again, rates aren't going higher because the world has effectively gotten better. Rates are going higher, in my opinion, because inflation is out of control. And you know, I'm paraphrasing a little bit now, but the Federal Reserve is effectively acknowledging that. And if you think the Fed had your back going into that meeting yesterday, if you listen to him and listen to that press conference, I don't think the Fed still has the back of the market. I think the Fed put, at least for the short term, short term being the next, you know, six to nine months is over. Yeah. So, Liz, you said you're fired up. You want to talk about the Fed. The movement in the stock market initially was higher, then it was lower, closed near the lows of the day, but yields definitely rallied. What's your take on what yields do here? I know that you're also focused on the two-year that's at 118 here. Give us a sense of your thoughts, where rates are going, and what it means for stocks near term. Yeah, I mean, to your point about the two-year, it's not just about the 10-year, it's about the shape of the curve. And I get frustrated with with people and all the statements that have come out about, oh, if the market goes down far enough, the Fed will get scared and they'll back off. No, they won't. Not until it's down a lot. But I'll tell you what will scare them is a curve that gets super duper flat. And if it starts to approach inversion, then they'll do something about it. But I was thinking about this this morning. Remember Operation Twist? I think there's a chance later in the year that they do Operation Untwist and try to push up the long end, drive down the short end, or even put a cap on the short end. And look, it's not unprecedented. Japan's been doing it for a long time. They put caps on certain parts of their yield curve. So it's possible that they'll prevent an inversion, but that's what I think would scare them. Now, I agree with Guy. I think we'll start to get above two. I think we'll knock on maybe 225. Equities aren't going to like it. And as a strategist, usually we talk about buying broad beta, we talk about buying broad sectors and rotating in and out maybe of industry groups. This is actually a time period where I think broad beta is going to hurt you. And this is a time where you have to choose very specifically if you're choosing stocks, maybe you're choosing industry groups, but this is not necessarily a time where you just throw all your money at broad beta because this isn't something where we're seeing a shock in the market, a one-time shock, and we're going to rebound from it right? This is a digestion process. This is something that we're going to go through probably for the better part of the first half of this year, maybe even the second half of this year. And there's a lot more chop to come. Listen, a couple of things strike me before we go to gold. Yes, I agree with you. This is not your 2018 Trump administration fed where the stock market was a report card for the administration. This is a 2022 one where they're focused on inflation. They're trying to get reelected. So I'm with you on that, number one. Number two, when you say twist, I think of Tony Twist, a great enforcer in the NHL for the St. Louis Blues. And number three, you better choose wisely because you remember what happened in all those Indiana Jones movies when the guy didn't. Which brings us to gold, which, Liz, if you had told me all the things were going to take place over the last couple months, Bitcoin would be cut in half. Interest rates would be going higher because inflation is out of control. And oh, by the way, there's volatility in the stock market again. I'd say, well, you know what? Gold's going to be 2000 It ain't. It can't get out of its own way. But apparently Goldman Sachs out of nowhere is saying, you know what? Gold's going to get going here. What are your thoughts? I had a mentor very early in my career who once said to me, I don't understand the investment thesis behind gold. And this is a guy who had been in the business for over 40 years, very well-storied investor. I don't understand the investment thesis behind gold. What are you going to do with a bunch of shiny stuff when shit hits the fan? And I agree. And I've always remembered that statement. Here's the thing about gold. When's the last time that over even a one to three-year period, it did what you thought it was going to do in your portfolio? It hasn't. And 
you can't set the right expectations, especially in a high inflationary environment. It's doing exactly what it shouldn't do, right? It's moving sideways or it's even correcting over short-term periods. I don't think that gold is the spot to use to hedge against inflation. I don't think it's the spot to use to hedge against dollar. I don't think it's where you hedge against equities, not because I think it's going to go down and lose a ton of value, but because I can't figure out which way it's going to move and how am I supposed to use it to hedge if I can't set the right expectations. No, I think that's fair. And I think you bring up a good point. There are no, I mean, you think about it, all the uses of gold, there really are none, but it's been a store of value and it's been a place that central banks have found, you know, they're hoarding gold. If you look at it, buying gold in record amounts, but I'll tell you, you don't have to believe in gold or listen to me or listen to Liz. Let these charts decide. And if CBW was here, he would say exactly that. We're coming into this pennant formation and it's going to break one way or another in a meaningful way. Now, I happen to think the break is going to be the upside I think there are a lot of other people that say if it hasn't rallied yet, it's clearly going to be to the downside. But in this case, EY, I say let the charts be your guide. Well, Guy Adami, first things first, you finally sucked me in because I've been saying to you for months now, if it can't rally in this environment with inflation expectations at 40-year highs, and, you know, I've been talking about, you know, calls, call spreads, vols really cheap on this major risk asset that should be performing well. You sucked me in a week ago. It's just not doing it. It got rejected at that downtrend. And and again, I'm just kind of ready to give up. And I will say this. And Liz, maybe this is another segue. If I were looking to buy a scarce risk asset, I'd probably look to digital gold in this environment, especially the fact that, yeah, it's down 50% or so from those recent highs. And maybe it hasn't acted as a great inflation hedge. But if you're looking for something that's scarce, I mean, that kind of fits the bill. Curious your take, because you brought a chart here, Liz, that incorporates the Bitcoin. Yeah. So this is a chart showing the relationship or the short-term relationship between Bitcoin and gold, obviously Bitcoin in the orange line. And they tracked each other pretty closely through the end of 2021 until we had that retirement of the word transitory, right? So the dotted lines, the first dotted line you see is the real yield peaking. So inflation expectations weren't quite as hot. And then the real yield trough when inflation expectations took over, real yields were at negative 117. And they still tracked each other, but you see this sort of separation now in 2022. This is why it's hard to set expectations. Both of these assets should be doing really well right now if the investment thesis is true, that in an inflationary environment, they should protect, they should be a store of value. And in an environment where you have major central banks starting to move in all these different directions, you want to have an asset that isn't tied to one particular central bank, which should be Bitcoin, right? But that's just not how it's worked out. So this is a time period where you're looking at an asset that has been around forever and a day, which is gold. And then you're looking at an asset that's brand new that we're saying, okay, here, it solves all the problems that we couldn't solve before. And that's not acting like it should either. So I think if we rewind to maybe early 2021, when people like me are saying, okay, dip your toes in crypto, Invest in it because you'll pay attention to it more. You'll learn more about it if you have some skin in the game. But this is not the core of the portfolio because it's still in this price discovery phase. And I would argue gold is also in a price discovery phase. I like it when you get fired up. This is the fired up, EY. Now, a lot of folks are saying, <laughs> wait a second. I told you I was. I know. I and there's some strand, strange dude walking behind you. Wave to him, please. So listen. Here we go. People are saying themselves, was that Noto? We should get him on. So people are saying right now, 20 minutes in, they're like, wait a second. 
every Liz puts out these great notes with these great headlines, just and apparently just to infuriate Guy. Where's the note? Well, here's the note. Slide it, Earl. And this is, you know what? I actually like this one. From zero to, I actually lolled out loud on this one. From zero to Firo. I mean, yeah. just take it away. So <laughs> this is actually one of my favorites too. And you should know yesterday when I was thinking about this one, I thought of three more and I kept a note. So we're still running on this. Okay. The zero that I'm referring to is zero rates. So zero Fed funds rates. And obviously we have to come off zero at some point. Here's the thing. We're having these huge swings. And I mentioned this earlier because we as investors, whether seasoned or new, are not conditioned for this environment. So I think this chop is going to continue. Also, we haven't even started doing anything yet. We're still buying bonds for another month. We haven't raised rates and we haven't started to roll off the balance sheet. Like nothing's actually even happened. And we have all this volatility. So when it starts to happen, and yes, the market's a leading indicator, but when it starts to happen, we still have to digest the actual events too. So I said at the end of the first part of this, there's more wood to chop and chop will ensue. Now, I said earlier in the week on Squawk Box, you know, you can still buy some of these dips, sure, but don't spend all your cash in one day because there's going to be more days. And I agree with you guys that we still have more downside on a lot of the indices. So when you're spending your cash on some of those dips, make sure you're buying the stuff that's high quality. The next point I would make is about this chart. So 2021 was a frustrating year for fundamentalists. And I think 2020 was a frustrating year for fundamentalists too, because the patterns didn't make sense. And if you looked at the patterns between, you know, rates supposed to go up, yet still value didn't really take off the way it should have. You see the 10-year treasury not going up the way it should have. It was really frustrating because you couldn't really analyze it in a way that said, okay, if this, then that, right? We start 2022, and even though the market's down, I would argue it's down in the right way. So this section of the note was called old heroes, now zeros. So these high-flying tech stocks are down. Well, yeah, the 10 years moved 30 basis points since the beginning of the year. They should be down. And then you've got on the other side, the top five things like cyclicals. You've got energy, you've got banks in there. You've got dividend payers, which are you know some of those um, insurance companies and, and some of the staples. That's what should be happening. So the pattern starts to make sense. And hopefully this rotation, which I think I've mentioned before on this show, the rotation that we tried to make last year a few times that never stuck, I think it sticks this year. So we have to get conditioned for this new environment. And then last, and this is this is what I want to hear everybody's thoughts on, because I think it's really the key to this. The end of the note was doves or hawks, we all have to leave the nest, right? The nest is no longer the safe place. I think that this is healthy. I think that this correction was a good thing, and I, I don't think it's over, but I think it's healthy somewhere between that 10 and 20% range, and we have to fly on our own. I think that the Fed doesn't care about our feelings anymore, and I don't think they should care about our feelings anymore. So we're now in this phase where we have to tighten in order to grow, but there's probably competing thoughts on so, that. So, so Guy, that. you caught that little Easter egg there, buddy, from old heroes to zero. That's what they call it, an Easter egg. I think she was coming right at you, buddy, when she penned that one. But, you know, just for, listen, I, I also agree that, you know, a correction, and we talked about it at the top of the show, it's like, you know, to have such a long period without, you know, a 10% correction with a little fear put into it, it really speaks to your fear to zero or zero to fear or whatever you're doing there. Um, and a little fear is good. I mean, investors really need need to get kind of like they need to get checked every once in a while. I know that you think so too, guy. 
I agree 100%. And I will tell you quickly that Hawks and Doves, you know, the great Neil Young, who is now being removed from Spotify during his feud with Joe Rogan. Great Neil Young song, by the way. Neil Young is represents 13 songs on my Spotify playlist, in, any, in case anybody cares. Wow. So Number wait, one. It just got a bit lighter there, guy. So what are you going to replace it with? Well, no, you know, as I looked this morning, he was still there. I will not replace it, and I'm certainly not replacing it with the bands that you like, like the Metallica and the – what's that one? The Stone Temple Pilots and some of that other garbage Dude, that you first things first, I, I don't like Metallica, okay? So you have to retire that one here. I'm a bit of a Pearl Jam guy. All right, listen, we got to start moving on here. We're no, we're moving late. on. What do I yeah. think? I think she's exactly right. This yeah. is a healthy thing. The market should want this, and yeah. we have to leave the nest. You know, you've been under the protection of the Gambino crime family for so long. Now you're not. Now you got to figure it out on your own. Back to you, Dan. Yeah, all right. Let's go to some tech earnings here, guy, because we got to kind of cover a couple single stock names here still in the in the in the crux of earnings season here you know microsoft definitely i think you know calm things down a little bit i think there was potential you know the stock was down in the aftermarket before they gave their guidance it was down four or five percent the other night and then they gave the guidance and the stock came back and then gave some of it back yesterday but it's doing okay here you know semiconductors having a tough day on the back of intel earnings you know piper had a note out this morning talking about microsoft listen everybody on the street loves microsoft and so they really love what what's going on in the cloud the acceleration of the commercial bookings there so that leads us to the next big three we have apple tonight. We have Alphabet and Amazon next week. The implied move in Apple is 5% in either direction. Again, it's a $2.5 trillion market cap company. Could it lead the market lower? No doubt about it. I mean, when you think about Apple's market cap, it's probably not far off from that of the entire small cap Russell 2000 here. Guy, you had been calling for a move in Apple back to that breakout level that we had back in late November or so, where the stock literally went parabolic, gaining, gaining like a half a trillion dollars in market market cap in a straight line. We got there. This chart looks so much different than the NASDAQ and then many others. It's showing great relative strength. What's your take into the quarter tonight? Well, we've talked about 157. You mentioned it. That was a prior high back in September, the prior all-time high. And we thought we'd do a back and fill to that level. We got there. What's my take? Well, I don't think it's necessarily over for Apple either. And in this environment, the numbers have to be staggering. The one number I'm looking at is basically their services number. I think it needs to be north of 22% of overall revenue for this stock to get back on its source. We'll see if that happens. If it doesn't, Dan, I think sort of that 152 level, which will represent the support in that uptrend line, it's basically got a bullseye on it. Yep. Yeah. All right. And so, Liz, just taking a look at the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, the NDX, there's 100 stocks in there. And we know that Apple makes up 12% of the weight. Microsoft makes up 10%. I'm not going to ask you about the technicals here, but you see the levels. The NASDAQ 100, it's below that 200-day moving average. It has not been below that in probably 18 months or so. It's below the breakout level from the fall. And you see where that support is, which was really the breakout level from last late spring here. This one still feels heavy, and maybe it has to do with the fact that, you know, the three big ones that we just mentioned have yet to report, and we're going to get them over the next few weeks. What is your sense? Because the NASDAQ 100 has gotten a lot, hit a lot harder than the S&P 500, and that really speaks to the fact that a lot of the smaller cap tech stocks in the NDX have just gotten destroyed. There's so many of them are down 40, 50, yeah. 60% from their highs, and now we're waiting for these big ones. What's your take on the, on the NASDAQ? Yeah. I mean, I, I think this should be below the 200-day moving average because think about what the last 200 days looked like, right? We had 
rates depressed. We didn't have clarity on whether or not this tightening cycle was going to start. And now we do. So this is a good looking chart to me, but this is what I meant earlier in the show. I wouldn't buy broad beta. And that includes the cues because the cues are a sentiment indicator for the tech industry overall. So as we have rate volatility, you're going to see the cues get hit harder, partially because they've got a lot of those smaller cap names in them. Now, but I want to be clear because it's not to sell tech entirely. I think you wait it out in those blue chip tech names, right? Those large cap tech names. And if you have to keep money parked in tech, which I think you should keep money parked in it, keep it parked there and be selective. I wouldn't be buying the cues here. Well, you said something really interesting before about not going into full positions. And I know that you're speaking often your blog and, and some of the work that you do at SoFi, you're speaking to new investors. And we were talking that before and they haven't seen these sorts of periods of volatility and, and making sense of a rate hiking cycle and why valuations get compressed and that sort of a, and really keeping some dry powder makes sense. And I'll just tell you how I'm looking at the NDX right here is that, you know, we've been talking about it on a market call for weeks, if not months now, that we've seen this devastation in large pockets within technology, but we've seen these handful of names, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, Tesla, NVIDIA, really hold up Facebook, throw that in there. And so if we were to get those things to just kind of give it up, get down to 20% or so, then you're going to have this NDX back towards that kind of 12,000 guy. I don't know if you think so, or not really 12,000, maybe like 13,000, which is that May, June lower. So and that's when you want to go in the QQQ. And I'll tell you why. Because those big names, they're not going anywhere. They just needed a correction. And then you get the benefit of all those dozens of other names that are down 40 and 50%. Do you agree with that guy? I do. And there's that great Ryan Reynolds movie, Fools Rush In. And I think that 13,000 makes a lot of sense. We'll talk about why are you making a face. Was that not a Ryan? No, Jocelyn? you know what, guy? I want to tell you something. You literally, you know, the, the movie that you quote 98% of the time is The Godfather from 1972 and the follow up just a couple years later. The fact that you just pulled Fool's Rush in, one of the worst, like, whatever you, what do they call them, bromance, sort of, what do they, what do they call those, Liz, those movies? Because they're probably big on your list. Rom-coms? Rom-coms. Rom-coms. Where did that yeah. come from? Well, you said, Liz said you want to sort of wait here, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you don't want to be a fool and rush in. That's where it came from. By the way, Noto's done his second flyby during this I think half he wants hour to, I think he wants he's to come on. the joint. Yeah. yeah, I know. He's, I know. He's, I didn't case, tell he's him like I a caged lion. I mean, I feel like he's yeah. in the Bronx Zoo going back and forth. <laughs> Listen, we got to take a look at home builders because obviously Bank of America did a survey of the home builders and a lot of interesting things here to take a look at. I mean, valuation has always been very compelling for all of these names, but they're obviously moving here and there. A lot of this move, I think, recently is on the back of rates going higher. What are your thoughts here, EY? So the home builders, you know, if you make a list of pros and cons, I think, unfortunately, there's a few more in the cons column. You got to think about the fact that I think the the home industry in general took off earlier in this cycle than it normally would have. Usually we look at housing as a cyclical indicator. I think it happened sooner in this one just by nature of the crisis. But also you've got a Fed that started to talk about rolling off its balance sheet. And they said that they would do mortgage, they would roll off mortgages more than treasuries. And they wanted the balance sheet basically to be all treasuries. So you've got possible pressure on mortgage rates and you've got probably the most of the demand behind us. Now there's some pent up demand here, I think in the home building space, because there hasn't been enough supply going around. So there's some pent up demand and they could be lifted through spring on that. But long-term and even for the full year, I think there's probably pressure on home builders. Yeah, so Guy, the Bank of America, they downgrade toll in Lennar. Let's take a quick look at Lennar here because I got to tell you, 
It's not a bad looking chart. I mean, you think about everything that's gone on here over the last 18 months and the change in the housing market and the the weird migrations and the demand and the supply issues and then the cost of inputs and all that sort of stuff. You say to yourself, if you take a shot on this, this is where you do it. And when it bounces off this $90 level over the last, let's say, year or so, you get a nice move up to about 110, right, on, on three different occasions. So, you know, if you're feeling that rates maybe stop going higher, that the 30 year mortgage maybe topped out or something like that, this would maybe be a good one to play back towards that 200-day moving average just above 100. Guy, what's your take on the Lennar chart? Because that's the big kahuna in the space, $28 billion market cap. And then obviously, you can look at the XHB ETF that tracks this sector. It's got a lot of other stuff in there. Is that a better way to play it? I think I think Lennar's the way to trade it right now. If you look at that chart, go back to the look at this support level. This ninety dollars been support a couple times, and we are effectively a standard deviation from the two hundred day. So you're going to get, in my opinion, one of these relief rallies. This is the stock that you trade. You don't have to own it. it doesn't have to be a fundamental thesis behind it. But I think as a trading vehicle, this one looks great, Dan. All right, my man. Well, we did the two sectors there, the home builders and the tech, and we got Liz's great note here. So, Liz, thank you for joining us. Thanks for kind of playing along with our goofiness here. It's always fun always. to have you. You got to follow Liz on Twitter and you got to follow her, the SoFi blog. I'm going to kind of figure out where that is right now. So you get more content <laughs> from Liz Young at Liz Young Strat on Twitter. And you can sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter at SoFi.com slash daily to read Liz's articles every Thursday that we get the benefit of looking at here on Market Call. So thank you very much, Liz. We will see you next week, bud. Thank you. Bye, guys. Tell, tell Noto we say hi and tell him if he comes by one more I time, will. he's going he's gonna to appear jealous. on Market. He's, of course he's jelly. I mean, why wouldn't he be? I mean, you get to hang out with us and he's sort of walking around with a coffee looking lost. But that's neither <laughs> here nor there. So talk to you next week, Liz. Thanks, Enjoy Liz. the football games this week. Another week where you don't have to really worry about outcomes. Anyway, we're going to our man Butters because we've come to love the guy. And one for the road is his earnings insight. That's what he does, Dan. And he's talking about forward PEs, which, again, a lot of important things. This is one of them because as rates move, valuations matter. Yeah, guy, you're going to love this. For the first time since May 2020, when when really the markets were fairly uncertain, they did have a kind of bounce back off the March 2020 lows at that point. But the P.E. ratio, the Ford P.E. ratio for the S&P 500 dipped below 20 for the first time since then. What's your take on that? It just shows you after such a sharp decline, I think the S&P, you know, is down maybe 8% on the year, down about 20 or 10 or so percent from the highs. It took all of that to get the forward P.E below 20. Yeah, but if you think about it historically, what a historic in over a 10-year period, the average PE is about 16 and a half to 17. So yeah, it's dipped below 20. Everybody's doing, you know, they're, they're jumping for joy. They got the pom-poms out, but let's put things in perspective. Even with this move lower, you're still at an elevated level. And oh, by the way, you still got to hope that the earnings in the PE sort of come through because if they don't, you're going to start to see more dramatic declines, in my opinion. But that's just me, Dan. Yeah, well, listen, you know, again, going back to those big tech names that we know that they make up a disproportionate amount of the earnings for the S&P 500. And, you know, Microsoft, I think the guidance that they gave was very calming. So if we have Apple do the same tonight and then Google next week, you know, that's how you probably keep this PE 
fairly elevated above 20. And then if the market starts to move, you know, then you start kind of re-rating these names higher. That's just the way it goes. Well, listen, Guy Dami, that was a whole heck of a lot of fun with thanks to Liz. Take us out here, big man. Now, listen, again, another great market call. This is our last Thursday market call for the month of January. It is shocking to me how quickly time passes us by. But if you like financial data and earnings content shared during the market call, subscribe to FactSet's Insight blog at insight.factset.com to access more great content. Today's episode of Market Call was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, and we are thrilled that we have three of them, FactSet, SoFi. We saw Anthony Noto. I mean, that was pretty cool. We saw him twice, the CEO of SoFi and Open Exchange because they always manage virtual meetings that matter. We'll see you next week, Monday for Market Charts. Tuesday for Macro, and Thursday for Market Call Street Research. I'm Audi 5000. What are you? Yeah, I'm with you, buddy. I'll see you, I'll see you later. Thanks, guy. <laughs>